the title of my message is called The Breath of Transformation and Humility. And this last weekend, as I had the great opportunity to be in the Blue Ridge Mountains and enjoy my birthday, you know, one of my favorite things just to do is to start a fire. <laughs> I'm not a pyro, I just like, I like, you know, I like the process of starting a fire. Is there any guys that, is there, well, I guess you don't have to be a guy to like fire, but yes, yeah, I like fire. I like, I like the process, now let me explain, I like the process of gathering small little twigs and sticks because, right, you can't just throw on a big log on, in the fire pit. Well, I mean, if you have gas, I mean, you've got some kind of, you know, something like that, you can't, but you can't just put a match to a big log and it's going to light, right? You've got to start the fire off with, you know, getting small sticks, and then you just increase in the size, and you build a bed of embers, and then you can start throwing bigger stuff on it, right? And I think that's, you know, I think there's, uh, an illustration and a picture of our lives, right? It, we got to start with putting small things on the fire. And I, I believe that humility, I think it's, firstly, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about humility. I think the way that humility is understood in the body of Christ is incredibly one-dimensional. And I'm not trying to, like, harp on what's been taught I just think it's a lot fuller. There's a lot bigger picture to it. And I felt like the Lord was speaking to me, just like I, you breathe on a fire. You breathe on embers, and it catches, right? And I believe that the breath of transformation that will light your fire in your life is humility, now, I want to say this, and this is a slide here. Humility is not something, as a believer, that you work in you, but work through you. And what do I mean by that? I mean that as a, a whole being, spirit, soul, and body, as we know, when you get born again, when you receive Jesus into your life, you make him Lord, you become born again, in your spirit, you are complete. You look like Jesus, molecule for molecule. Your DNA looks exactly like Jesus. And so, one of the most incredible virtues about Jesus, I think it's that makes us just absolutely fall in love with him, is the virtue of humility, right? You know, humility is actually what saved us. Think about it. Without humility, we wouldn't be sitting here today because it took a king humbling himself and being obedient unto death. I mean, if, if there's a humble action, that is as humble as it gets. So without humility, we would not even have, have the ability to get born again. We wouldn't even have any privilege of walking in any of the promises or any of the inheritance that has been given to us through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so humility is an incredible, important thing for us to, to start to have a grasp and understanding in our life. And it's not something, again, that we are trying to work in us as if it's on the external, it's on the outside, and we're trying to bring it in. Humility is simply saying the same thing that God says about us. Philemon, I believe it's in Philemon, if I could even say it right. I think it's Philemon, or Philemon, whatever. Um, excuse me. Um, one six that talks about the affecting work of faith happens by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. See, we, we don't pay attention. I mean, I'm saying we, I'm saying the
the church as a whole kind of steers away from that, you know? But it's acknowledging every good thing that's in us that's, that's in him. It comes by him, right? And so why humility? So as you're hearing this, again, I want you to think you're not, you're not trying to hear for where you're not. You're trying to hear from what you're being invited into. You know, a lot of times we can see the life of Jesus and it's like, whoa, like it, you come face to face with how amazing of a life that he lived in purity and his humility. And you could go, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm just so far behind. I'm not living up to where I should be. But don't listen for where you're not. Listen to what we're being invited into. Jesus wants to stoke that truth that already abides on the inside and let it be reflected on the outside of our life. And that's only a work, and that's only something that can happen by his grace in our life. We can't do it in our own strength. It's impossible. You know, I've said it before. The Christian life is not only hard, it's impossible. We can't live it like we can't. But that's the beauty of God placing his spirit on the inside of us and giving us his grace, his divine influence upon our heart so that we can live in a way that is beyond ourselves. And glory, hallelujah, because I need that grace in my life. Not just when I hit a crisis or I hit a storm in life, but I need it every day of my life. And if we recognize what humility really is, we recognize that we have a need every day. We, we have to be dependent on his grace every day. Not just when like we fall short or we mess up or we have some kind of shortcoming, but we are dependent upon him because of who he is and what he offers and what he invites us into. You know, Jesus was the most dependent upon the Father. Think about that. He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the spotless, perfect lamb. But yet he is dependent on the Father. Now, Jesus modeled something for us, right? He didn't just live a life that we could never live up to. He lived a life modeling what true humility looks like, right? Because our, 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 a lot of times our view is humility only has a place for when there's sin. And I'm here to tell you today that humility, the greatest form of humility is not found when you fall in sin or you have a shortcoming in your life. But the greatest form of humility is looking at him, seeing his grace, seeing how beautiful that he is. That is the greatest form of humility being worked in our life. Not when we fall short. There is a place for that. Absolutely, 100%. But there is so, something so much more if we look at in, the, in the beginning and we look in the end. Because a lot of times we're developing theology, we're developing our, our, our view, our perspectives on what's happening now in this world and what's been going on. But this is the way the earth and the way the world looks is not exactly how God wants it to look. I mean, it's pretty clear, you know, this every people dying is not, you know, it's death is not God's will. God's will is seen in the garden and God's will is seen in the end. Right. Amen. Amen. So why humility? So true happiness, true happiness comes from humility. The Beatitudes of Jesus. You you read Matthew 5. It's awesome. It's really every statement that really Jesus is making. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're all humility statements, right? And it says this. It says, this is the good news translation uh, of Matthew 5. 5. It says, happy are those who are humble. They will receive what God has promised. Um, Here's another reason for humility. Learn from Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, uh, verse 30 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, 
All who are weary carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to burn of me. Right? It says, hey, listen, you got that stuff you're carrying. Look at me. Think like Jesus thinks, Philippians, and being found in appearance as a cross. You know, Philippians 2 says, Paul is speaking, and he says, put this mind on you, the same mind that was in Jesus, that he emptied himself, right? That's a part of putting on the mind of Jesus. I really want to understand what that really looks like, what that means. Jesus emptied himself, put this mind on you that was in, that was in him. It's incredible. You know, I preached a message in October about the power to stand. If Really, I believe the power to stand in life comes from having the same mind that Jesus carried, and that's a mind of humility. It's your greatest strength, right? Be wise and don't be a fool. If you look at the book of Proverbs, a lot of the book of Proverbs is about humility, right? Um, and uh, Proverbs 18.2 says this. It says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. How true is that right now? So I don't, I, you know, God, God still loves you. God still cares about you. God still loves a fool. But we don't want to be fools. We want to be wise, Right? Walk in victory. This is Psalm 149, verse 4. It says, For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. So there's victory in being humble. Transform your life. This is James 4, 6. It says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, and that can sound like a condition, right? That can sound like, well, I thought God, there's no conditions. I thought he would, what, what really, if you read the context of this verse, it's talking about impure motive. That's really what, what's being said here, what James is writing. He's talking about if your motive is not in line with love, then when you ask God for something, you ask amiss. And so, that can sound very like, man, that seems pretty harsh, God. Why don't, I mean, don't you want to give grace to everybody? He does. He, he, yeah, he wants grace for everybody to receive grace. But grace and pride or humility and pride, they, they don't mix, right? And so it's what God is wanting and desiring to do. We become our own stumbling block from receiving. You know, pride resists, but... Uh, but a humble heart receives, right? So what I'm going to, it's kind of cool what I, what I ended up seeing through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. I saw this progression of what we're going to talk about, the three motivations that compel us towards humility. And that's a, that's a slide up there. Number one, and again, humility is simply dependence upon God, Right? So number one, where we came from, where we were after the fall, where we are after salvation. I believe these are three key motivations that compel us towards, motivate, or compel us towards humility. So number one, here we go. Y'all ready? Where we came from. Humility begins with the origin of life. Right? And so I'm going to read Ephesians 1, uh, verse 3 through 6, because it this is God's heart. This is God's why behind redeeming mankind, right? And it's awesome. If you, if you really understand the whole context of it, it's incredible. So Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's a pretty awesome promise right there. Just as he chose us. I want you to pay attention to these words, okay? Because it's very important that we pay attention to the way Paul introduces uh, 
the gospel to the church of Ephesus, right? Because he doesn't, he starts off with all these things that we're talking about, right? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So you were chosen. Say me. me. I was chosen before the foundation of the world. Man, that'll preach. That's incredible. I don't understand it, but that's what it says. That we should be holy and without blame before him and love. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself. So it was always in God's heart to adopt us, for us to be in a family, to be sons, according to the good pleasure of his will. So it's his good pleasure to do this. It's not, it's not twisting God's arm. That's what you got to do. It's his good pleasure to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And so then you read verse 7, and it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You know, Paul talked all about the reasons why that we were, the, his, his purpose and his why for redeeming mankind before he even mentioned sin. Just think about it. Like, when Paul's introducing this, he's not introducing the reason for redemption was because of our fallen state and sin. The reason he's introducing this is to say that, listen, you've always been a son. You've always been a daughter. You've always, in my heart and in my mind, you've always been a, my child. The reason that God, the ultimate purpose and the why behind Jesus coming to the earth is to restore us back into a family. Obviously, he had to because of sin. Not, we're not taking that away. We're not removing that. But the ultimate purpose and the goal that motivated and compelled Jesus was to restore us back into the family. Yeah. It's important that we understand that because that shapes a big point of our view and our relationship with how we see God, our Father. Like, you know, because if we understand like, hey, I've always, I've always wanted to be draw, draw, draw near to you. You've always been in my heart to be, to, for me to be close to you. You know, it says that love keeps no record of wrong. And we have a, we're pretty good at keeping records sometimes of wrong. But God's love, because God is love, keeps no record of our wrong. Now, is that a license to go out and do whatever you want? God forbid. That's dumb. That's stupid. It leads to death. And so, we're going to jump into, um, so you see kind of an origins here in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 3 and 6, and the rest of the chapter is incredible. It, it honestly just keeps building. So, Genesis 1, 26 um, says this, then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I have a amplified version here. It says, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness and let them have complete authority over the fish, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. So my, my point of bringing this is we're made in his image. And a lot of times we've thought about this. We've thought of image as solely physical. But when God says, I made man in my own image after my own likeness, He's not just talking about, well, you look like me. <laughs> I'm your daddy. <laughs> I don't know why I made that voice, but um, <laughs> anywho. See, that's like uh, anesthesia right before the truth hits you. It was some laughter. Um, but what God is saying is when he's talking about your image, he's talking about that same 
The same thing that motivates God. Like the same intentions, his, his will, his, his heart, man. What, and then he says, be fruitful and multiply. He's not just saying go and have a bunch of kids. What he's saying is multiply my heart on the earth. Yeah. We have to get this because it's so good. That's been God's heart is to make man in his own image to have his same likeness and heart. Not for us just to battle and strive and struggle and struggle and struggle, but where we recognize our oneness with him so much to the degree that, you know, it says, I think it's Psalm 37, 4, that delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, see, when you delight yourself in the Lord, what happens is he begins to give you his same desires. It's not like, oh, you know, I get my, you know, this desire, this desire. No, God, when you're in relationship with him and you know him and you have this intimate communion with him, you actually begin your desires change. Like, that's incredible. That's awesome. That's our testimony, man. <laughs> and, it's, and it's grace. It, that's how it works. Okay. And so Hebrews 1.3 says, um, I don't have this up here, but it says, Jesus is the express image of the Father. Like the imprint, the exact representation of what God looks like, right? Jesus is the express image of the Father. And if we're made in the Father's image, then we're made in the image of Christ. Right? Yep. That's incredible. That's amazing. I, I looked up this word express image in Thayer's Greek lexicon. It was pretty cool. It says, the mark, figure, or letters stamped upon that instrument or wrought out, it hints universally a mark or figure burned or stamped on an impression, the exact expression, the image of any person or thing, marked likeness, precise reproduction in every respect. And that gave me like this picture when it's talking about this image. You know, like the old times they had these like signet rings, right? And like these rings were, I guess they were very detailed um, that a king would have and they would stamp like, you know, messages and documents and things like that. And that was a carried authority, right? When they carried that, it carried authority. Well, Christ was that stamp of God, the Father, and so are we, right? Yeah. And so that's what God, that's God's intention and God's heart that he stamps us with his same authority, his same power, not to be overlord, but in humility, you know, when it says subdue the earth, it's not, and, and it's not talking about from a wrong motive. It's absolutely talking about a pure motive being motivated by love. Like it's not this like this ladder that we're going to rule the earth. No, Jesus, did Jesus rule? Is Jesus a king? And how did Jesus rule? Man, he came riding in on a donkey, and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. Like, if I was God, you know, you've heard people say, I'd come in on the biggest horse, and I'd have a big parade, and man, he came in on a donkey, lowly. I mean, even looking at his whole life, where he, coming out of Nazareth, and, you know, he'd go heal somebody, and he wouldn't even, he'd just kind of scoot out without anybody knowing. I mean, just... Incredible. You know, every motive that Jesus had was completely selfless. Wow. That's the invitation. <laughs> That's the invitation that we're invited into. Paul said, I haven't apprehended, like I haven't attained this, this incredible truth, but what I do, I press toward the goal of the prize of Christ Jesus, right? Even Paul said, I haven't apprehended, but man, I'm on a journey. I'm going somewhere. You know what? God, thank you, God. I thank you 
just for fathering me today. I thank you that today is the happiest day of my life because today I know you better than I did yesterday. And tomorrow, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be the happiest day of my life because tomorrow I'm going to know you better than I did today. And y'all hear me say that? But that's like your center. That's your compass for life. Because regardless of whatever's going on in your world, whatever's going on in your life, if you have something to center you, it's not like it makes things just disappear and go away, but it gives you a purpose and a why for the reason that we breathe and that we live. Paul said, I have my, my being in him, like every part of me. It's never, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. It's nevertheless I who live. It's pretty humbling, but it's Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me and loved me. Like that's, that's awesome. The message, uh, verse 26, says it like this. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make make them reflecting our nature. So Genesis 2-7, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You know, I was just thinking about this. I was thinking, how humble... (laughs) How humble of a beginning is that for us? God took a, I'm thinking about a comedian here, took a cup of dirt. You know, there's this comedian, Brian Regan. He's got this skit where um, he, he had a science project due the day of. And he's like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's like, well, I'll get a cup. and I'm going to put dirt in it. <laughs> and then he goes to the teacher and she's like, okay, what is that, Brian? Um, it's a, it's a cup of dirt. <laughs> and she's like, ah, you failed. Yeah, it's not good. We came from a cup of dirt. <laughs> God took a handful of dirt. He formed it, right? And then he breathed into the nostrils and he made man. That's a humble beginning. That's what I mean about where we came from, that motivating us, that compelling us towards humility. Because if you just look at the origin of life, which a lot of people want to ignore, right? We came from God. It's absolute 100% truth that we came from him. He formed us from the dust of the ground and breathed into us. That's incredible that he would do that. But listen, we're not just a cup of dirt. (laughs) We're not. We're not just the substance because it's not about the dirt. It's about before. Remember what we just read in Ephesians? Before the foundation of the world, (laughs) God thought of you. And so before there was a cup of dirt, you were already in God's heart. And so it wasn't the cup of dirt that made you. It was by God's purpose and design and intelligence and his motive and his love and his pleasure and his everything about him to bring you into being. So we're not just a cup of dirt. We're not just a substance of molecular minerals and all these things, we are literally the formation of what's in God's heart. If you think about it, if you as a creator, you create anything, what do you do? You purpose in your heart before you ever create it, right? You don't just just go with it. God gave us an imagination after his. And God saw us in his heart before he ever made us. That's incredibly, that's an incredibly humbling thing. So man didn't just come from the dirt, but from the heart of God. You know, you read Psalm 8, you know, the David, he says, man, when I look at the stars, look at the heavens, man, what is man that you are mindful of him, right? You just, you see the vastness of creation and you kind of start to feel small. But God doesn't want us to feel small for insignificance sake. 
God shows us his creation and says, look, I made this for you. Like the earth was created for man. It's not the other way around. Like man wasn't created for the earth. Everything that God has created was for us. And yeah, we do a pretty poor job of managing that. But that doesn't eliminate the whole purpose and the, and the reason why behind it. Psalm 139 says this, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. So number two about what motivates us and compels us towards humility, you guys. Where we were after the fall. And I feel like this is where there is a strong emphasis on is this area, is where we were after the fall. So there's, you know, a, um, this idea, or I mean, it's not an idea, it's a truth, is having a contrite spirit. You know what I'm saying when I say contrite? It means feeling or expressing remorse or penitence affected by guilt, which that is a natural thing, right? That is a part of the process, right? is for us um, to, to see our sin, to see where we fall short, to see the, the purity and the glory of God, and then see where we stand in light and apart, apart from Him, right? And so we see that. But I don't believe that so I think that's so I think that's where humility a lot of times is believed that. Humility and sin, they just go hand in hand, right? It's, it's like there has to be this constant expression of remorse and sorrow. You know, one of the, when I, my life turned around, one of the first churches, I went to a church up in the mountains. If you've ever been to a church in the mountains, you could have a unique experience, right? And I was invited to this church. And I'm not trying to talk bad about it, but it was, like, very foreign to me. I just, like, encountered the love of God in such a radical way. I was, if you don't know my testimony, I struggled very heavily in substance abuse and just was in a really, really bad spot. And God came with his love, his mercy, his grace, and his acceptance, and it completely transformed my life. And so I'm coming out of that. Just being like, woo, you know, waking up out of bed, dancing, like, I'm, God loves me, God accepts me right where I was, and guess what? That didn't cause me to go keep doing drugs and keep doing dumb stuff. It actually set me free from being dumb and being stupid and go, going down a path of death. It actually made me want to follow God. It made me want to have purpose and relationship with him. It didn't make me want to continue doing that stuff. That's just ridiculous. Amen. It's perverted. Because anything, when you teach grace, if grace is taught apart from transformation, it's perversion. Because grace and the love of God is what transforms us. And so I went to this church, and it was like, I thought I was, like, going to, like, a haunted house or something. It was just all this, I mean, extreme, I'm talking extreme wailing and travailing when I walked in the door. Just, like, ear-piercing. Maybe it's just a sense of, you know, being sensitive where I was in my life. And then every word that was spoken was just hellfire and brimstone and my, was, my ears and and honestly, I could listen to anybody. Like, you're, you have this tender and soft heart. You're just like, let me see what I can get out of this, you know? But it was just like, I, you know, that's the picture I think people think of what it is to be humble. Is you travail and you wallow and you just, you know, it says in Hebrews 10 that there's to be no more consciousness of sin. And we teach that you keep digging it up to be transformed. You keep digging it up. All you're doing is giving the devil ammunition to completely wreck your life. 
The Bible actually says that we are short-sighted if we don't have these virtues, these characters of Christ working in us because we have forgotten that we have been forgiven of our sin. Not only short-sighted, it says blind. There is a place for it, absolutely. It's momentarily, temporarily that we are removed, we're cleansed, we're forgiven, made holy, made righteous. And from that moment on, we live through him, our consciousness cleansed of evil and dead works, and we change the world <laughs> by just being us, by not trying to be somebody else. Just is what it is, man. It's the word. So I'm just going to read through this really quickly. I'm not really going to give a whole lot of um, commentary on this. Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says, In you he made alive. So this, again, um, this is remembering where we came from. There is a place of humility of recognizing where we come from not to dig up the garbage in our past, but to remembering that we were dead, and when we said yes to Jesus, we've been made alive. Yeah. It's important to remember. It really is. I, I practice in my own life remembering these truths, but I don't spend time going in my past and digging up every bad thing I ever did. It's just simply, I was a sinner because I was born in Adam, ultimately, all of us. We're not sinners because we sin. We're sinners because we were born in Adam. We sinned because we were in Adam, born after the fall of Adam, of sin. That's the reason. True. I mean, Romans 5, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And if you read verse 4, it says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Yeah. Right. And so this is where we were before we were born again, and God changed us. Okay? So religion closed man... And when I say religion, I'm talking about man's self-effort towards God, right? That's what I mean by religion. I'm not devaluing religion. I'm talking about religion as being your own, your own performance, your own ability to, to, to approach God. Religion closed man with shame, guilt, and condemnation. And if these things continue to have preeminence in your life, it's going to wreck you. You're not going to have boldness. You're not going to have confidence towards God because all you can see is your sin. All you can see is where you were, even though God has transformed you and made you a new creation. Old things are gone. All, behold, all things have become new. That's what changed my life. I was like, this... Regardless of what's going on in my life, I believe this. I'm made a new creation. I receive this. I believe this. The gospel clothes man with a robe of true righteousness and holiness. <laughs> See, religion's trying to throw on the shame, guilt, and condemnation. God's trying to just clothe us with uh, righteousness and holiness. Amen. Just like his, the prodigal son. Prodigal son comes home. He doesn't. All he does is clothe them with his goodness. Yeah. Everything. And I guarantee you, that son didn't go out and do the same thing again. Ephesians 4.24 says, And that you put on a new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It's in the word. Humility, humility doesn't only come down the prodigal road. Like you don't have to just have a prodigal story to be humbled. Right? You don't have to be a prodigal. Sometimes, if you read, like, Jesus shares three stories, you know, there's a coin, there's a sheep that gets lost, 
the sheep is just doing sheep stuff, <laughs> you know, eating grass. Uh, next thing the sheep does is the sheep looks up and it's like, I'm lost. How did I get here? Right? And the woman, she loses her coin. And honestly, it was, you could say that the woman lost the coin out of neg negligence. She wasn't taking care of it. Some people are, are lost because of what people have done in their life. And then some people, like me, is like the prodigal that willfully went away from his father's house. But all the same, everybody's lost and needs Jesus and needs a Savior and needs to be found. Yes. Right? So good. And so, yeah, the, the humble road, is, it, it, can look, it can look different. All right? Y'all probably heard this. God, I'm in trouble. 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, y'all heard this verse, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. That's true. I'm not taking away from that. But to humble ourselves only in the face of sin is short-sighted. That's where I talked about 2 Peter 1 uh, verse 5 through 9. So you can, you can read that and study that out because that's exactly what it's saying. Like, you've forgotten that you are forgiven of your sins. All right, last point. So where we are, you know, honestly, when I come up with these messages, it feels like I create a preface of a book. I just, just scatter shot everything all at once. Yeah, I'm so, okay, so uh, three, this is the third motivation that compels us towards humility. Where we are and where we're going. Remember, humility is simply dependence upon God. The greatest measure I think I have a slide for this. The greatest measure of need and dependence of God is discovered in the light of his unfailing love and unmeasurable grace. And just to remember in context, when Adam was created, what humbled him? Was it sin? No. What humbled Adam was God just breathed through his nostrils. <laughs> That's what humbled him, is that God took that substance, formed him, and breathed into him, and he became a living soul, a living being. It didn't take sin to humble Adam. It took looking at the Father that just breathed life into him, and he goes, here I am. <laughs> That's incredibly humbling. And so Ephesians 3.14, I'm going to read this verse and I promise you all will end. For this reason, Paul is saying, you see the progression here. Ephesians 1, Paul gives us the why behind redemption. He goes into Ephesians 2 and says, listen, this is where we were, but this is what God has invited us into. You were dead, now you're made alive, you're brought into the family, we're bringing oneness, right? In, verse, or in chapter 3, He's like, this is the mystery of everything, and it's all coming together, and this is the reason for verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This bowing your knees, that's humble. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit and in the inner man. Okay, verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love. Verse, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this third motivation that compels us towards humility 
is that we just look at how amazing he is, what he's done in our life, made us a brand new creation, invites us into his same life, you know, take my, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood, that kind of crazy stuff, to be a partaker of his divine nature in this life and walk in the same ability, the same grace that he walks in, you know, with the Holy Spirit in our lives when we said yes to him. It's, it's that Ephesians 3 that, man, this, this, this love, this incredible grace, it's, there's no measure to it. Like it can't be measured. There's just like the universe, there's, we have not, maybe John can correct me, but I don't think we've still measured the expanse of the universe. It just continues for what we understand continues to keep growing. And that's the grace of God. That's his love. Like when we look at him, like there is no place of, I mean, we should be content in life, but we should never be satisfied because there's a lot more to eat and there's a lot more to see and there's a lot more to partake in than what we're all experiencing. That's humbling, right? That's incredibly humbling. doesn't mean that we're not doing anything doesn't mean that our, it doesn't mean what we think it means. It just means like, man, wake up. Let's, let's do this together. As a family, let's join arms. Let's join hands. Let's show the world what real grace and real love looks like. Yeah. Right? And let it be something that's worked through us instead of something that we're trying to work in us. Jesus breathed on his disciples in John 20. He comes back. He comes out of the tomb. They're fearful. They're locked in their house. The doors are closed, and Jesus appears. And he says, peace be with you, and he breathes on them. And he didn't have a, you know, a mint in his mouth. He breathed on them <laughs> life and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's it's a picture of what God did in the beginning with creating Adam, restoring that which was at the very beginning, the image of man. That's what redemption's about, you guys. Redemption's about what was lost, has been recovered, been, uh, been paid for by the blood of Jesus, and it's better than it was before. True, true humility is the good soil where the word of God can grow. Wow. You want to get that hundredfold, that thirtyfold? You want to get that word that's talked about in the Mark 4 principle and parable to work in our lives? Humble ourselves by looking at him Amen. and saying the same thing that he says about you. Even when you fall short and you have your failings or whatever, you go to the mirror and say, I'm the righteousness of God. God paid for my life with his own very blood. And no matter how much I feel, whatever, God, your word is more true than my feelings and my emotions. And I receive it. I believe it. And I accept it. And I give my life to it. I surrender my life. I surrender my will. I give it all to you because and you, you can do a lot better job than I can with yes. it all. Yes. And you will change my life. So conclusion, homework, go through the Gospel of John and just look and make notes of where you see the humility of Jesus being lived out and expressed. Just look. Like, I, I honestly believe if you just, with intention and the pure motive in your heart, I'm going to see how humble he is. I'm going to see this humility. And it was worked through grace, dependence upon the Father. And when you stare at that beauty, it's like you just, that's what, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you see him, man, you're like, man, I'm getting hungry. Again, you know, I'm ready to eat some food at this picnic, right? <laughs> Thinking about it. You know, it's, you know that's, that's the way it's supposed to be with Jesus. We start thinking about him, meditating about him. They're like, man, my stomach's starting to growl. I need some Jesus. <laughs> um, conclusion, the breath of transformation, humility. Breathe on the embers of your soul 
and your life. Breathe on it. Because you'll never be more truly happy, more satisfied, walk in victory, walk in contentment, than when you walk in the grace that he gives to live in this humility, this life. It's the greatest gift, and he offers it freely. So I'm going to pray. Thank you, Father. Just thank you for just the privilege and honor, God, to just speak your word. God, just I thank you for the gospel. Father, just thank you, God, that you are fathering us right now in this moment. God, I thank you for your your kindness and your and your gentleness of who you are as a humble father, as a humble Messiah, as a humble Holy Spirit, God. Thank you, God, that you, God, we just yield our lives to who you are. God, we're so thankful for that. God, we thank you, God, for helping us just even just little shifts in the way that we see things, changing our perspectives, God. Thank you, God, for developing, establishing that grace and righteousness that already, that already resides on the inside of us, God, that it would become effective, effectual in our lives by acknowledging you. Thank you, God, for fathering us. Thank you for transforming us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for community. Thank you for family. I thank you for each person here, God. Thank you, God, that they would, that each person here, that they would see their incredible value. And God, where there is a need, it's met through your love and it's met through your grace. Thank you, Father. You are able, you are, you're not just able, but you're willing. You want to. It's your greatest desire as your children to give us everything that we need in you. Thank you, Father, for it. We just commit our hearts to love people today, just to be a reflection of your nature, of who we are, thankful that we're not just a cup of dirt, but we are made from your heart, God, with incredible purpose and value. And it comes through just resting in everything that you've already done through Jesus. So God, we just rest in you. We just take those moments to breathe and just look at you and not look at what's going on all over this world, God. This is just for a moment, but you're forever. You are forever. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name.